Mark chapter 12. If you picked up a bulletin on the way in, the actual scriptures are there inside the bulletin. If you don't have a Bible or a device, uh, we are reading out of the ESV translation of the scripture. And so if you have anything else, other, if you have anything besides the ESV, it might read somewhat different. So uh, it'll either be on the screen or if you have a bulletin, it's in your bulletin. This morning, we continue our journey through Mark's gospel. I was going back this week trying to get the website updated with uh, some information and updated with the sermons, and uh, it had not struck me. We began this series back in 2018. We haven't been preaching constantly through it. We took a break, picked it back up in uh, 2021, uh, but today we'll mark the 47th sermon out of the book of Mark, and so we're in the home stretch, only 16 chapters. We'll finish up chapter 12 today, and then we'll have chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16 left, which again, what amazes me about Mark's gospel is that it is 16 chapters long, but through the first eight chapters, take up all of Jesus' life but the final week. And then Mark decides that he is going to, of course, with the aid of the Holy Spirit, he is going to spend chapters 9 through 16 uh, writing on the final week of the life of Christ. So what does that say? Probably pretty important to pay attention uh, to these final chapters of the Bible because it is where Mark puts the majority of his emphasis. And so today, we are still on Tuesday of Passion Week. And if you've been here for the last several weeks, you probably have picked up on Sunday went by pretty quick, Monday went by pretty quick, but Tuesday has been a long day. Uh, it has been a quite a long day. Uh, and yet the Tuesday before Friday's crucifixion continues here in Mark chapter 12, verse 35 through 44. And so let's, uh, let's look at this together. And Jesus taught in the temple, and he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? Now, you know, we've, we've had all kinds of people come at Jesus. We've had the Herodians come, we've had the Pharisees come, we've had the Sadducees come, and now we were introduced last week to this uh, other group of religious folks called the scribes or the lawyers, and if you were trying to figure out what, what would a scribe be like today, a, a scribe would be um, someone who would probably be classified as a fundamentalist, and um, uh, but the, the bad thing about this group of fundamentalists is that uh, they are fundamental, but yet they miss the entire mark of the gospel. And so uh, that also reminds us that just because you know a lot doesn't mean you know a lot of what is right. You can know a lot of what is wrong. And you can know a lot of what is right and still miss the right. And that's kind of where these scribes, these lawyers are. Uh, are, as Jesus exposed last week in the earlier part of Mark 12. David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, now this is a quote coming out of Psalm 110, and I don't know if you know this or not, but Psalm 110 is the most quoted psalm in all the Bible. 
No other psalm is quoted more than Psalm 110. And so Jesus is quoting here from Psalm 110. He said, The Lord said to my Lord, Set at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And David himself calls himself Lord. So how is he son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greeting in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses for a pretense make, and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. I just like to preach that last part right there, the greater condemnation. But we'll have to save that for another time. That's more like a Wednesday night Bible study where you just kind of wade way out into the deep because there's some interesting stuff going on right there. He goes on to say, and, and he sat down opposite the treasury. So in the temple you had 13, well, we got one box. They had 13. 13 different ways you could give. So Jesus is sitting opposite the 13 treasury boxes. Now that's kind of interesting, right? That Jesus is paying very close attention to the money box. He's paying attention this morning to the money box still. And he watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which made a penny. And he called his disciples to him and he said, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. I don't know if you were paying attention, but it says that while Jesus was watching, people were putting huge amounts of money into the offering box, and here comes this widow, and she's got two coins that equal a penny, and Jesus says, and she's put in more than everybody. So what's this story all about? Why is this, why is this story in the Bible? Why, of all the things that, that the gospel writer could write about in this final week of Jesus' life, why does the Holy Spirit make sure that Mark records this story? Because only Matthew records this event outside of Mark. Luke does not include this story, and nor does John. So why is this story in the Bible? Well, I usually give you three points, but today I'm only going to give you two points. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of cheating you a little bit, so... Uh, Point number one is this. He wants, the, this story is in the Bible so that we can notice what Jesus condemns. Notice what Jesus condemns. And I know you're thinking, hey, there was still one more verse. You didn't read that verse. I'm, I'm going to kind of save that verse to the end. This story is in the Bible because Jesus wants us to make sure that we notice what he notices, and notice what Jesus condemns. Jesus criticizes the religious leaders for really, for two attitudes, I guess attitude, or dispositions. I'm not 
I guess both of those are uh, synonyms of each other. But here's what he's criticizing them for. Okay? Here's what he's condemning, condemning them for. That they were shallow. He, is, he condemns them for their shallowness. These are shallow individuals. They don't have a lot of depth to them. Now, now they know a lot, but they're still very shallow people. You know, it's amazing to me that how in the church world, we think because somebody can quote a bunch of Bible verses, or maybe somebody knows a lot of doctrine, or somebody has some kind of advanced degree, uh, whether it's from Bible college or some kind of advanced degree from some seminary, somehow we think because those people have all of this wealth of information deposited into their mind that that, that, that person is somehow not shallow. You see, shallowness is really not defined by how much you know. Shallowness is defined by how much, how much you do with what you know. Now, that didn't get an amen. Maybe you didn't understand what I'm saying. What I'm, under, what I, what I'm saying is, is some of us are, have been uh, biblically educated beyond our obedience. Some people are walking around saying, oh, I, just, I need somebody to teach me the deeper things of the Bible. And don't get me wrong, those of you who have been around here, I like to go deep. I like to talk about stuff that makes your eyes swirl and your head hurt and, 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 you know, and, and, and makes you you know, kind of come to the end of your wits and you just throw up your hands and say, you know, what am I doing? Why, why am I trying to figure this out? I, I like that kind of stuff. But, but listen, the average Christian, now I'm not going to say the average Christian, every Christian, we really don't need to know any more of the Bible. What we need to do is we just need to start doing more of what we know about the Bible. That's our problem, as we talked about last week. It's not knowledge, it's the, it's the obedience of what we already know we should do. And if we started doing more of what we know we should do, our lives would be radically different, and probably the world around us would be radically different. But these guys are shallow. Man, they know a lot. And, and we see that back in verse 35 through uh, 37. Because Jesus is talking about this debate that they're having, and the debate simply is this. How can Jesus uh, uh, be the uh, inferior and the superior? How can he be both man and God? You see, they weren't looking for a divine Jesus. They were looking for a human Jesus to come and to triumph over the human Roman government. And Jesus says, no, I came in human form as a divine being so that I can triumph not over Rome, but over the sin that you are in bondage to. You, you have a greater bondage than Rome. You, you have the bondage of sin. And so in order for Jesus to bring about our salvation, he had to come as both fully God, as we've sung about, but he has to come as fully man. Why? Because he has to be tempted in every way that we are tempted, yet without sin. Jesus knows what it feels like to be tempted. There's no temptation that has befallen you that has not befallen Christ. Jesus kept the law that you and I simply cannot keep. He, he doesn't do away with the law. He fulfills the law by keeping the law perfectly. Why? As I've said a thousand times, so we'll say it a thousand and one. Jesus 
came to do what we could not do so that we could have what we could not earn. We, we can't be good enough to be saved. So Jesus comes and in our place and for our sin lives the life that we should have lived, but we can't, and died the death that we should have died, but we don't have to. Why? Because Christ does it for us. And, and so that's what the debate is going on. And, and the fact that these religious men who spend their lives studying the Bible could not see, it just simply shows that they had a head full of knowledge, but yet they were shallow in their life. And listen, if you don't live out your faith, then you're shallow. You're wafer thin. You're paper thin. You can have everything in your head, but if you don't apply it in your life, then you're no better than the scribes in the text today. And so if you're... If you're in hot pursuit of more biblical information, my question to you this morning is, what are you already doing with what you do know about the Bible? And if you're not obeying what you already know, then start obeying that before you try to figure out something else. But Jesus also, (laughs) um, he condemns them for their showmanship. For their showmanship. Boy, these guys, I mean, you could, you could read the text. Uh, they, they got, I mean, I, they're in essence wearing the best clothes, you know, the, 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 the best, uh, the finest garments of the day. What did Jesus say about religious people? He said they're like whitewashed tombs. They look good on the outside, but inside they're like dead men's bones. I mean, you can look good this morning. You can have it all together. You can, look, you, you can look like life is going your way, and yet you can be absolutely positively doing nothing but putting, putting on a show. And, and really, this is, our, this is our great issue, or one of the great issues inside of the church today, is that for so long, we have come to church, and we have put on a persona that is not real, and it has done nothing but give the world the, the ammunition that it's been looking for. And it says, you know what? I, you know what? The church is just full of hypocrites. But you know what? If we just came and took the persona down and we were just honest about who we are and, and about the sin that we still struggle with, we would do away with all of their accusations. Because it would say, you know what? You're not saying anything that we don't already own in the midst of the entire congregation. But these guys were showmen. They were showmen. This, <laughs> this uh, one writer that I came across, listen to what he said. He said, they were prancing, preening, primping, pompous, proud, powerful, prestigious peacocks prancing among the poor pigeons of society. We don't need those kind of people in church. You know what? That's the kind of people we need on that wall right there. We need weak. Uh, We need people in in mourning. We need people who will admit that they're a sinner who needs a Savior. We need people that will come in and say, you know what? I failed. 
Why? Because those are the kind of people that Jesus will draw near to. Jesus does not give himself to those that are like these that we have read about this morning. So we see what Jesus condemns. Let's, let's move on to what Jesus commends. Because there's something going on in the story that Jesus wants his followers, wants his disciples, he, he wants to teach them something very important. Now remember, this story comes on the heels of last week where Jesus, where Jesus ended his uh, discussion with the scribes because there was this big question about what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and neighbor as yourself. And it said once he said that and answered that, they didn't ask him any more questions. And so really what Jesus is doing here, I think Jesus is just really, in some ways, continuing the teaching of this is what it looks like to really love God. This is what it really looks like to love God. So what does Jesus commend? Well, let's go back and look at verse 41 through 44. What does he commend? He's watching the treasury, putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. Poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples and he said, Truly I say, this poor woman has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. And here's the verse that I left out on, intentionally. Now look, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had and all she had to live on. Jesus is not interested in what people do. Jesus is interested in what people do with their money. Why? Because he needs it? <laughs> I don't think he needs it, right? I believe he owns everything to begin with. There's no economic crisis. Inflation doesn't affect the kingdom of God whatsoever. So why is Jesus so concerned about our money if he doesn't need it? In the Bible, prayer is mentioned 371 times. Love is mentioned 714 times. But hey, listen to this. This, this blew my mind. And I, I verified this in th by three different resources. 2,162 times the Bible talks about giving. Now, if you add love and prayer together and multiply it times two, that equals giving, which is pretty important. He knows that money can do more to you than you can do than it can for you. He knows that money can do more to you than it can do for you. You ever heard the old saying, or maybe you knew somebody that, man, they got, they got some money, they came into some money, and they just, they different people now. No, they're not different. Money didn't make them different. Money just revealed who they really were. Money does not change people. It doesn't. It just reveals what kind of people they really are. Jesus knows what money can do to you. 
Money is, money is a good servant, but it's a poor master. When you learn to give, you learn to control your money and not let it control you. Now, the word here, uh, let me see if I can pull it back up on the screen. Two copper coins. That is, you might have heard it called the widow's might, or some translations tran translate it uh, leptin. Again, this is uh, about a half a penny. So combined, two mites made one U.S. penny. That's what it was, what it was worth. The mite was the smallest offering that was allowed in the temple. It was the smallest offering that was allowed. And here, Jesus says... You know, Jesus never talks about anybody's specific giving ever other than the woman who gave the two mites. So the woman who gave the least that you could give in Jesus' book is the greatest giver of all time. Why? She might have given the least, but she gave the most. Jesus watches our giving. Don't ever think that what you have is too little for him to notice. Should those who have very little still be expected to give? Well, of course. And actually, the people who have the least, I found, are the best givers. The most faithful givers. Jesus is a people watcher. But not only is he watching their actions, but he's watching their motives. Jesus watches our motives. Does that, does that bother you? Does that send a little cold chill, uh, uh, chill up your spine? To think that Jesus not only watches you, but, but, but he is watching your motives? Matthew 6, Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness, before other people in order to be seen by them, for you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward uh, in heaven. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who, uh, who sees in secret will reward you. Notice in verse 41, it says that he noticed how they gave, not what they gave. I'm going to give you another pray, uh, a prayer uh, from Hannah out of the Old Testament. Listen to what Hannah prayed. Taught no more, so, taught no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge. And by him, actions are weighed. Actions are weighed. God is not concerned about how much you give as much as he is concerned about the heart in which you give it. So let me ask you a question this morning. Why do you give? Some of you give online. Some of you give in the offering box. But no matter which way that you give, why do you give? 
Do you ever ask yourself that question? Why do I give? You can't see that map too well. I mean, the, the details of it. That's every county in the United States of America. The dark purple is people that give zero to 2.9% of their income. The uh, pink is people that give 3 to 3.5% of their income. The white, 3.6 to 4% of their income. The light green give 4.1 to 5% of their income. And the dark green is 5.1% and greater. Now, if you're wondering, if, can anybody see Talladega County on there? You can't? I can. It's a dark green. The average person in Talladega County gives over 5.1% of their income. Now, you may look out west and know that out west, you know, there's, there's some dark, a lot of dark purple, some pink, and then there's that cluster of dark green. Anybody? That's Utah. That's, that's where the Mormon church is. This was tweeted out, and the debate on Twitter was this. How come all them Mormons giving so much money? Anybody know why? Because if you don't give, you go to hell. That's what, the, that's what the Mormons teach. If you do not faithfully give to the temple, you go to hell. So there's a lot of people that understand that out in Utah. Now, down in the good old buckle of the Bible Belt, there's a lot of dark green there. And you know what? I, I surmise that there's probably a lot of people in the good old buckle of the Bible Belt who think and answer the question, why do you give? And they're like, because... Not, not necessarily because they think by giving they won't go to hell, but I give because I want God to be happy. I don't like, you know, I don't want him to take my money away from me. I don't want him to put me under some kind of curse or penalty for, for, for not paying it, right? I don't want my car to break down tomorrow. I, I need my gas to go from 18 miles to the gallon to 28 miles to the gallon. So I'm giving, I'm putting a check in, Lord. I'm putting my money in this week. I, God, I need you to pay some bills for me. Well, how, much, how is that too much different than, than somebody giving money because they think by giving money they won't go to hell? Neither one of those is the reason that the Bible teaches why we should give. Why should you give? You're like, are you going to give us the answer? No. You're going to figure that one out on your own. It's not too hard. Okay, I'll give it to you. You give because he gave to you. He gave you eternal life. Matter of fact, Deuteronomy says that everything that you've earned ever financially, God has given, to, given it to you. It's his. Deuteronomy says it is he that gives us the power to get wealth. Why do we give? Because he has given to us. And we don't deserve what he's given to us. Let's close this sermon. He watches our proportion, not the portion. What are you saying there, Brother Jason? He, he's not looking at raw dollars. Notice he said they, there were some that gave large amounts, and then this, this woman gave so little. Jesus is not looking at proportion. 
I mean, he's looking at proportion, not the portion. Look back at the final verse, verse 45. I want you to find that in your Bible or on the bulletin there. I want you to go back to verse 45 and just look at it. What does Jesus say in verse 45? Let me see if I can get it back on the screen. Or verse 44. Excuse me. Look at the look at the last six words. It says all she had to live on. You know what that word live? You know what it is in the Greek? B-I-O-S. Bios. Literally, listen, she gave everything she had. She gave everything she had. She gave everything she had. You know why this story, this whole story is really not about giving, even though it has some incredible principles for us to gleam and to live by when it comes to giving, although it helps us to see what God thinks about giving. And, and it teaches us that God is watching what we give. But listen, this, this little story about this woman that Jesus makes so much of, that gave so little, the whole point of it is this. Jesus is saying this. He's saying, do you want to know what it looks like to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Do you really want to know what that looks like? Here it is. You give it all. You, you don't hold anything in reserve. You, you give it all. You give everything. Now, am I telling you to empty out your bank account? No, 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 no. That's not what I'm telling you. But here's what I'm telling you. This morning, in your life, you've got to come to a point where you say to Jesus... Jesus, whatever it is that you want me to do, whatever demand that you want to make on my life, here it is. I'm ready. It's like tearing a blank check out of your checkbook and handing it to God saying, here's the blank check. There's nothing that you can't ask that I won't do. Why? Because it's all yours anyway. If you tell me to give my last two pennies or to give my last penny, I will, gi- I will gladly give my last penny. Why? Because it's your penny anyway. But really, Jesus is after something more than this. He wants more than just your money. He wants you to put your entire life out on the, offer, out on the altar and say, Lord, here I am, use me up. We, we like what Isaiah says, here am I, send me. We, we need, before you say that, you got to say, Lord, here I am on the altar. Use me. Use me. Consume me. I'm yours. Everything I got yours. I, I got open hands. Some of us, we got a Christianity that's like this. 
you can have this, but mm-mm, nope, can't have that. Nah, no, no, I'm holding on to that. You got, you got to have, your Christianity has got to look like this. It's got to be two open hands. Saying, Lord, take whatever you want. What do you want me to give up? I'll give up. Why? It's all yours. It's everything. Everything is yours. Everything is yours. You know what I love about this story? We have no idea what the next day was like in her life. Did she eat? Could she pay her power bill down at First Jerusalem Power Company? What's she do? I mean, I mean, isn't that what? You, I mean, that's what I'm thinking. Isn't that how? Like, let's say, let's say that, you know, one of our somebody in the church came to you and said, "I got a hundred dollars in my bank account, and the Lord told me to give it all this morning." <gasps> no, don't you do that. The Lord would never tell you to give all your money. He wouldn't want you to have zero dollars in your checking account. How are you going to pay your bills tomorrow? How are you going to do this tomorrow? How are you going to do that? The Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. Missionaries long ago got ready to go to foreign places where there were cannibals, and, 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 and good church members were grabbing on to these missionaries and they were telling them, no, don't go there. If you go there, you will, you'll die. They'll, they'll, they'll eat you. They'll murder you. Your, your life will be wasted for nothing. Stay here where it's safe. And praise God, those missionaries got on boats. And some of them were killed. Many of them were killed. But as one missionary said, he said the, the day the boat pulled into dock, he could hear the drum beats of the cannibals in the village chanting to their gods. But yet, he said on the, the last day he ever served in that country, the drum beat, but when it was beating, it was beating to the songs of the church. Why? Because somebody put everything on the table and said, Jesus, it's all yours. Whatever you want to ask of me, there is nothing that you can't ask that's too crazy or too wild. You, you want my life, you got my life. You want all my money, you got all my money. You want whatever it is that you want. You just tell me what you want, and I'll give it to you. You see, Jesus is saying to us in closing this morning that what gets the attention of heaven is somebody that will give everything. What gets the attention of heaven is somebody who will give everything. What are you holding on to this morning? How many of you, when I did this, you're like, yep, that's me. That, that's kind of the way my Christianity looks right now. I got a hand open over here, 
and, and I got stuff over here, and I said, God, you can, you can have anything over here you want, but I got this over here, and I'm saying, God, you can't, no, don't come over here, don't meddle in this, don't ask about this, don't, don't, don't say anything about this, because this, I got to have something for myself. You can't have everything. Why does he want everything? Because if you'll give him everything, guess what he'll give you? Everything. Everything your heart desires, he'll give it to you. He will. He'll give you joy and peace and purpose. But you can't have that unless you're willing to give him everything. And in return, he will open up the windows of heaven for you. You will live a life and a life more abundantly. You may be poorer, but happier. You may lose some stuff along the way, but be happier. But when you give him everything, he'll give you everything that your heart truly desires. Let's pray. Father in heaven, You're not asking for everything because you're some kind of sadistic God who just wants us to, who just wants to make our lives miserable, who, who is like a, a ruthless ruler who just takes everything and demands everything and, and gives nothing in return. Father, we are created in your image. And by being created in your image, That means you created us with desires and emotions. And our problem is by holding on to by, by holding on to everything or holding on to some things and not giving everything is that we don't experience the fullness of our relationship with you. We read about peace that surpasses understanding, and yet we don't have it. And joy that's unspeakable and full of glory, and we don't have it. And a life that's abundant, and we don't have it. And we can't have it because we're unwilling to give everything. Father, I'm, I'm grateful that we don't know this morning what you did for this lady in the days ahead, but, but what we do know and what we can be assured of is that she lacked nothing. <laughs> she gave everything, but she didn't lose anything that day. She gave everything and left really with more than she had when she walked in. Because when she gave everything, she got what's most important. And she got more of you. That step of faith led her into a, a greater relationship with you. And by giving everything, she got what her heart really wanted, which was more of you. Father, help us this morning to give everything and hold nothing back.
in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing this final song together.